But that's that mentoring experience. And that's what podcasts and that's what we hope our podcast become for people is an opportunity to to almost like a masterclass situation. Because uh, there are teachers out there who, who are rock starring, uh, who understand what it takes to do what we do. But nobody knows who they are. Nobody's heard their voice. No one's, no one's, you know, there's not a camera in every teacher's room capturing all these moments and, and putting them in a file. And you may have never experienced it, and then you may listen to it on a podcast, and then all of a sudden you experience it, and it's like, oh, I remember them saying, okay, this is how you, okay, got it. And even though it may be like, no, nah, I can't do that, but it gives me an idea. It sparks an idea in my mind of what I can do. What is up, fam? Welcome back to Value Adds Value. My name is Kyle Krieger, and as always, I'm joined by my guy, Wilkie V. Law, on the podcast this episode. Um, is a continuation of our last episode in which we started talking about how to prepare for the unknowns of the school year. Originally, we had talked about it because of the COVID protocols and everything that's going into this next school year. Um, one we thought was going to kind of be post-COVID, but now we're not sure exactly what it's going to look like. But we got to the point where we realized that every school year is unknown every school year brings new kids and new challenges so just um talking about how we try to prep for that and hopefully the lessons we share uh make a difference for you so you know we talk about knowing what you know uh controlling what you control and how to have contingency plans and skills so we hope you enjoyed the second part of the the podcast this uh episode number 334 and as always, we appreciate it. So if you want to subscribe, hit the like button, leave us a review, we would really appreciate it. Otherwise, have a great week. When I'm starting with what I know, that I'm building my confidence of, you know, of what I'm, what, what I'm, what I, what I expect of myself, what I know of myself. Um, and so again, as educators, our focus is strictly on student learning. But then that you gotta ask yourself, okay, no, so now coming on coming from this, you know, in the last the, the, this new experience. Yeah, just with 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 everything, with the protocols and, and doing this and having to do this and cleaning desk and wearing masks and sanitizing hands and all these different things. What is it that my students need to learn first, foremost, and what is it that I need to teach them? Some of the things they're gonna learn just from the experience. Some of the things they're gonna learn, I need to teach. And we have to understand how to separate those two. How do we create experiences for students to learn? And when do we shift from giving them the experience to giving them the direct instruction? Um, and so some of the things that we know we have to touch on, and I know a lot of people um, has been using a buzzword, but that that EQ, building up students' EQ, that social emotional learning, it is is critical. That's like almost that's your gravel that you put underneath your foundation before you lay your concrete. That's what's going to keep your foundation from slipping over time. It is is that emotional learning, like. Um, 
you can't learn when you're in turmoil. You know, you 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 can't learn when 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 your brain when that alarm is going off. You know, you're trying to read a book, but somebody's car alarm is blaring in the background. It it, it will frustrate you because it's hard to pay attention to what's in front of you when there's alarms going off behind you. So we have to kind of address that. I think first and foremost, that's a known that we know we need to deal with. You know, students, you know, so I was talking with my my um my daughter's baby sister yesterday, you know, and how and with her baby cousins uh Saturday, Sunday, they're ready to go back to school. They're ready to yeah. to re-engage with their teachers and their friends, you know. Um, and so understanding that when they come back into this experience, we have to make sure we provide one that's safe, that's nurturing, and that allows them to grow into themselves. I mean, they've been locked up. You know, you know, some of these kids have never been out. You know, I had kids in my summer school who spent the entire last year virtual. And their yeah. first time being on campus was summer school. And so imagine some of those kids didn't come to summer school. Their first time going to be yeah. on campus is going to be. Well, you know, and for me, I had eighth graders last year that didn't come back to campus at all, that their first time back, they're going to be at a brand new school. And most of them were going from our small charter school to big high schools. So that, that part. But what struck me in what you said, and, and it segues into the next point that we were trying to make, we want to figure out what we know, but then we want to figure out what, what is within our control. Because I, I think you saw this with certain people, whether it was people that were close to us or you know you just saw on the internet. Last year, it felt like so much control was taken from us. Like so many things were dictated to us. So many things were, we were told where normally we would have all these choices and control. We didn't. And I know, you know, people, and I know people who the more they felt like control was being taken from them, the more they reached and grasped for control of other things. Mm -hmm. But the second part of control, I think, too, is, and this is where I would love for you to start, is, is just understanding what you have the power to change. Because I think as a teacher, there's so much that we see that in our priority of student learning, there's maybe so much we can't change about our teaching experience and the school we teach at. But there is a lot we can change when it comes or that we can change when it comes to the, the student learning experience, the prioritizing of student learning. So I'd like for you to talk a little bit about, you know, how do you figure out what's in your control and then go about actually controlling it, actually taking, taking ownership of that? Start right here. You make a hand. And you write down the things that you know you can control. I can control my mood. I can control my relationships. I can control my content knowledge. I can control my emotions. I can control, 
control. You know what I mean? Those are the things that I can control. Outside of the sphere of that, it's all unknown. But if I make sure I control those things that I know I can control, then everything else that appears to me will be dealt with by one of the things that I've already got under control. Those are, those are your fire extinguishers. So when the fire comes up, the fact that I, I controlled my mood, the fact that I came here in the right mindset, this tells me that when somebody comes and they're trying to spoil my mood, I extinguish that. When it comes to sitting in professional learning communities where you're having to work and plan and strategize and, and a topic comes up, because I've studied and I've prepared, when I get in there, if a fire rises, I can take care of that. So those things become your extinguishers. And they're different for everybody. But there are some core things that you can't control. No one can control my response to things. No one can respond. No, no one can control that. I have full control of that. And because I have full control of that, then for me, as I'm moving forward into my day, I'm holding on to those things like, like a fireman. You know, I'm literally walking through in a fire suit because I'm like, yeah, okay, you're you going to bring it? But guess what? Okay, okay, I got to, maybe I got to get my axe to pick it, pick down into it first, then get in there to extinguish it, maybe burning under the sub level. But I'm going to get it. And so I think that that is our mindset that we have to do of putting out, and we did a, we did this in a, in a, a PD one time, Dr. Skinner, our math, uh, middle school math, curriculum uh, head, uh, lead, um, she, she had us draw our hand out and write down the five things that we can control on a daily basis and said everything outside of that is not, it's not ours, it's not ours to worry about. I, I love that analogy. And the thing that stood out to me really what you said is you're not trying to control more things. You're trying to use the things you have control of to deal with whatever situation arises right um and and we're going to get into that in a little bit down the road but i think it's what the other thing you said that really stood out to me too is having the expectation and the understanding that you're never going to control everything i think there are too many teachers that think that they can control a group of 15 to 30 people. And, mm -hmm. and with that, that part brings me back to point number one of knowing what you know. You learn in that regard, it's never possible for you to understand, to know enough about all of your kids to feel like you can control that situation. Mm-hmm. You could never get, I mean, unless you were a teacher that taught the same kids and you traveled with them for the first, you know, six years of their element, maybe at that point you would know them well enough to feel like you really could control it. But 
you can't know. And this is something you taught me. Like you can't know what each kid came in with just from that morning, Mm -hmm. just from the night before. You don't know whose parents got into a fight. You don't know whose family, you know, lost a a family member. You don't know which kid got yelled. You can never control that. And I think that's where, you know, leaning on that, controlling what you can control is so important. And it, it seems trivial, but man, if there was a skill that we should be teaching our kids, that emotional, um, uh, I, I've heard people talk about it as emotional regulation, mm-hmm. being able to deal with your emotions in productive ways and, and control it. Um, I think that's so important. So, you know, control what you can control. And, and for me, when it comes back to prioritizing that student learning piece. I control what I bring to my classroom every day. Absolutely. I know that I am beholden to a curriculum standard. I'm beholden to the structures of that school, but I choose how I show up every day. Mm-hmm. And only you choose that. Yeah. I think that that um really is important you know and it makes me think you know it's it's crazy because i can't remember who it was that we had on a podcast i think it was mira and um and jen and jen who said that you can't have dysregulated people you can't expect dysregulated people to regulate people deregulated Uh, people yeah, this, yep. That was Jen and Mira for sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and, and so when I think about that, if I can't get a hold of myself to control my issues, if I can't bring those things under submission, how can I even expect to bring the things that are outside of my control under submission? It, 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 it's, 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 it's insanity to think that that would take place. That's insanity would say, I'm going to try to handle something I can't handle on my own. I'm going to work with somebody else to make sure that they're on time, but I'm always late. You know, so it, it's like you have to get yourself under control first know what it is that you got, know what it is you're working with and handle that in order to be able to do, um, um, in order to be able to do anything, you know, which goes to our second point, which is that you always got to have, once you do that, that allows you to have your contingencies. Mm. That allows you, even in the unknown, you know, I I was laughing with my wife because I was using some duct tape and I say, you know, isn't it interesting that duct tape has gone on every space mission? Duct tape. They ask the astronauts that, and they say that we take duct tape with, with us. Duct tape. Why? Because no matter what they say, duct tape can fix it all. <laughs> you know, and then I watched, a, a, I was watching a, a, a war movie, and they had duct tape. Somebody had gotten shot, 
So they literally slap the tampon and duct tape the person up to keep them from bleeding out. I thought it was a joke and a farce until I actually asked somebody and they say, no, that is a true use for tampons in the field. And proceeded to tell me a whole list of other things that they can do with tampons and duct tape. And you know, it's like those little things, those contingencies that we need on our daily comes from those things that we can control. Yeah, it reminds me of a book I've been reading. Um, there is an author and a TV host uh, named Steve Vernella. He hosts a TV show and a podcast on Netflix called uh, Meat Eater. It is a hunting show. But it's more than just like going out and hunting big game. They really try to teach the skills um, that are needed to go out and do backcountry hunts or whatever it might be. And he just released a book called um, Meat Eater Guide to uh, Wilderness and Survival. And he broke these different, you know, so he, he talks about shelter and water and food and all this stuff. And he broke it down into three chunks. Like, here are the things you need if everything goes your way. Here are the things you need if something kind of bad happens. And here are the things you're going to need if you have, like, oh, shit, catastrophe. And he said, it's your job as an outdoorsman to look at your situation and decide what is, what is a problem I'm likely to have what is a problem I could have? And hypothetically, what is my worst case scenario? Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to contingencies, mm -hmm. it feels like so many people jump to like, I'm a doomsday prepper. I, I'm this or I'm that. I store, you know, a hundred years of freeze dried food in my house or, or whatever that might be. But a contingency, even just for me being in that it's summer um, and, you know, the weather is changing up here and, and this is the season where if we were going to get tornadoes, we would get them. You know, we have a basement here. So I'm just thinking to myself, like, okay, if we come down to our basement and there's a tornado and worst case scenario, like we can't get out of our basement, what's our next plan? Do we have food? I know there is food in our freezer that does not need to be cooked. Do we have water? Yes, there is bottled water down here that if we need to, um, but there's also a sink that hopefully you could get to. Um, you know, it's, it's those type of things that you look at and you, you think of contingencies. But for me... And this is something I also learned watching good teachers, especially like you. And, and I will say, as much as she drives me crazy, Miss, Miss A, Miss A had a contingency plan for everything. Everything. You know, but when it comes to that, that student learning priority, for me, it's about having a few contingencies that will cover a broad range of situations versus having a contingency for everything. So mm -hmm. when it comes to either contingency plans or the skills that you think 
are needed to have contingency plans, where, where does that start for you? So in that unknown situation that you're going to face on the daily when you teach kids, where do your contingency, where does your contingency planning start? Again, it starts with what's most important, student learning. Um, always saying, what if the kids don't get it? Whether it's an emotional learning experience or a content, you know, content um, experience. The question becomes, what happens if they don't get it? And I look at it and say, what happens if most of my class doesn't get it? And then I say, what happens if some of the class gets it and, and, and a few don't? Then I say, and it's crazy when you, was, when you were describing what he wrote in that mediator guide, I said, that's how I think about my classroom. What do I do when everybody, if everybody gets it? Because sometimes teachers have that oh shit moment and everything's going great. You teach a lesson and the kids get it, but you don't know where to go next. You're just dumbfounded. You're like, oh my God, oh my God, what is happening? Have I been struck by lightning? But yeah, I mean, so then let's take it to the next one. So, I mean, because this is really the contingency and we can have contingencies for student behavior and that different stuff. But I think that is that is something that really you just comes with learned experience mm -hmm. understand behavior so so let's take the scenario where you know a whole bunch of your class gets it but a few people don't so then what what for you what's the contingency there uh small grouping um you know i i i, I have it already built into it again having a great mentor miss davis she kept she used to keep this tablet and I, I, I used to always look at this tablet, couldn't read it, read it, read it, really read her writing. If she's listening to this, Ms. Davis, I'm sorry. But you okay, you know, Davis? You know that you're writing. Her, she knew her writing. Like she would tell me, I'm not doing anchor charts. I write bad on paper. Kids don't want to see my writing up on, on, on an anchor chart. You know, she's she would have kids do the anchor charts. Uh, but she would always write in, like whatever we're teaching, she would almost like write out like, like the scripts of what's going on and at what point in the learning, if I needed to deviate because of this, what do I teach? If the kids don't get this, then what do I teach? If the kids get this, but don't get that, then this, then I'm gonna go teach this. So in her mind, not only does she have it written out, and not only do I have it written out, because I keep, I keep a journal with me for each class. So that as I'm preparing for each class, I know what I'm gonna give my kids. And so, once you have, this is what I'm gonna do, then I'm gonna say, these are the questions I'm gonna ask to support what I'm trying to get them to see. Sort of. And it sounds like a lot, but it really is not. It sort of reminds me of this, this idea of having a scribe in classes, like having a student write down, like this is what happened during class. Because I think, the situations of unknown that turn into those oh shit moments are when a teacher doesn't see the signs. You know, and if we're using the analogy of being out in the outdoors, it's someone who's not experienced, who doesn't realize that they're, 
getting themselves into a more and more precarious situation. As a teacher, you need to recognize like, hmm, my class went from just a couple kids not knowing to a bunch of kids now don't know to, okay, now we're going towards nobody really knows. And the worst situation that you can find yourself in, which we have both in our experience found ourselves in, mm-hmm. that nobody is, nobody is with you, nobody's learning anything, and you have no idea why. And then you can make it even worse, really dig yourself a hole by blaming the kids for not learning. That is a situation where you're not controlling what you can control. So what are, you know, you talked about Kay Davis's little notebook, but what are some of the signs that you see uh, of where, you know, the kids are not getting it and you need to go to your contingency plans? Mm, you know, those are those little, um, those little assessments that we do throughout the class and throughout the lesson. Um, um, you know, that think that's, that, that's a, you, you can't really, it's different each time. Some classes, some kids will be vocal. Hey, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Some kids, you just kind of got to look into the crowd and see the faces you know, we've all been in that PD where somebody says something and you have this look on your face and you kind of look around and you see other people look the exact same way and it's like nobody really understood that and then comes the text message, did you know what that meant? Well, what is that? Or you start Googling things. You start looking for those signs. Um, but I think that as a teacher, when you put those formative assessments in th- those, those ass- formative assessments within your lesson, and you're constantly assessing your kids as they're working, uh, as you, as they're learning. You know, it's like you do this. Now let me let me back up. I'm gonna start it over. Give you some different numbers. Now what do you do first? Okay, we let's let's rock and roll. Okay, now we got this. Okay, now I'm gonna back up. I'm gonna change the numbers up. Now what are you gonna do with this one? Okay, I got it. Okay, bam. Okay, let me do. So you see at each level where the kids are. And again, are you going to hit 100% every time? No. When you do, that's like teaching gold. You know, when you get 100% of your kids to get a lesson that you taught. And I think maybe I've been a little bit more fortunate teaching GT that I've had those experiences, but I've had some of those experiences in, in, in some of my sped classes where those kids, you know, with fractions and you're working with rainbow tiles, the tactile learners, those kids who, who actually touch this like, boom, 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 boom. I got this. Oh, nope. Got it. And when you see all those hands up at the same time and everybody has the same response, you get excited. So it's like, you kind of got to fill the room each time you're teaching because each class is going to respond differently to not getting it. Mm. You know, and, and I think the, the thing, the place I'd like to wrap this up at, um, because I, I just, we love the model, um, and, and it brings us to that point of adaptability too, is um, the OODA loop. Mm-hmm. So in, in this scenario, as you're trying to um, prepare for the unknown, do you want to explain the OODA loop to our people and um, how we, how we would- We just did, did that we, in the podcast we? before, yeah. Really? The one before this one. Let me check my notes. I'm almost certain we did. 
Because mm. I remember writing it down. Um, yeah, we did. We covered it in the one that we did. Uh, seeing it through. Oh, nice. Well, orient, decide, and act. Oh, perfect. I guess I'm so a little... Go behind. listen to that podcast. Yeah, uh, seeing the, it through. The, seeing it through, and, and it explains it. But again, I think even while you were talking about it, uh, he says that, you know, you have to know what what decisions to make at different levels. That screams OODA loop. Yeah. And as educators, we have to get ourselves within the loop. We have to get ourselves in the loop. You know, literally, because that... Pro- that prevents us from becoming stale and stagnant mm. and becoming, you know, Bueller, Bueller, Bueller. You know, you, no one wants that experience, but so many times, so many of our kids, even for the most animated teachers, you think that you're being animated and you're going all out, but what the kids hear is, I'm going to tell you how to do it, do it exactly how I'm saying it no matter how I'm moving my hands and doing the gestures or singing a song or doing a dance and spinning around, the kids are not connecting. Yeah. And so when you see that, when you observe that, then you got to reorient yourself quick and make a decision. Okay, what do I do? Sometimes it's better to back up, backpedal a little bit so you can gain ground forward. Yeah. It's... um... It reminds me too, though, you know, you said about student prioritizing student learning. I think some of the times that I've gotten myself into this situation, I was so wrapped up in myself that I wasn't paying attention to what the kids were doing. I wasn't paying attention to how the kids are responding. Um, we've been watching this show on Amazon called The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, It's about, in the 1950s, a woman who tries to become a comedian. And it strikes me that, you know, as a comedian, you have to be paying attention to your audience and what they're responding to. I mean, you would say the same thing about being a hip-hop artist or a a performing musician of any kind. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to be paying attention to how your audience is responding. Because if you don't, you know, audience engagement makes or breaks an experience. Mm. Mm. Um, I can remember being on stage in my early, early, early days of trying to be a rapper. Um, Me thinking that it was just about being able to spit bars. You know, so you jump on stage and you're just like, you see the smoke on the stage, I'm red hot, just like a fireball. But realize when you look out there, everybody's backs to you. Nobody's paying attention to what you're doing. You think you just spit the hottest bars of your life. You know, but it didn't connect. So you have to learn to go in and that first hook, that first initial, that's why you hear most rappers. What do they do when they get up? People think it's, 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 you know, they like, oh, every rapper want to get up there. Yo, 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 check it out. But what you're doing is you're trying to connect with your audience. You know, so when I grab the microphone, it's like, yo, I'm getting your attention. Let's go. You know, this summer I worked with the kids with creating producer tags. I said, you want something that when they hear it, as soon as they hear the producer tag, they want to listen to it because they know what you're making. You know, and so one of the kids, 
changed his voice to sound like a little kid. And it said, mama, Mari making beats again. And every time you heard that, you wanted to, you were like, okay, let me see what he did. Because it he connecting, that's his way of connecting with his audience. DJ Khaled, another one. We the best music. Yeah. You know, when he you says hit, his, 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 it says his name. Or, DJ uh, Khaled. He's he's going he's going to say it in every song that he's yeah. a part of. Well, even so, even to Brittany and I were talking about a few a few songs like, and you know the, the song that really like if you're going, you know for crowd engagement the one that I always think about and maybe because I'm a, a Wisconsin fan is Jump Around. Like you hear those horns come in, and just in those first two bars you know the song and when it hits you are automatically jumping mm -hmm. and most people on jump around are not listening to anything that they're saying in the actual song all they hear, they're waiting to hear jump around jump yeah around. and i also um think of let let me clear my throat is another song like that for me because it has that, you know, you were saying you 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 could get you could get you speak your intro, but if you have an intro like that, that people just know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just, I mean, it's those two songs. Like, I don't know how you can't just like rock with it. Like, if if House of Pain Jump Around comes on, I am instantly cranking it to like fifty. But it's just like, and Brittany is like, did House of Pain like really have any other songs that were like big? And I'm like, I don't, I don't think they ever had a song that was big, like, like Jump Around, but they still got to be making bank because that song is still everywhere. Every sporting event you go to, it's getting played. Mm -hmm. So, man, that's fantastic. So. Oh. So to wrap this up, preparing for the unknown, a couple key points that we want you to focus on, especially as we're getting into this new year. Um, first of all, just because this we're, we're hopefully getting out of COVID, don't take this as a special year of, you know, the unknowns. The year after is going to be an unknown. Every year you have is going to be unknown. So um, try to learn what you know, know what you know and know it well. Control what you can control. Um, I really love Wilkie's. You know, draw draw a hand out and write on there the five things you can control. And for me, I want to do that today because it forces you to really be specific with the things you can control when you only have a limit to five people. Mm -hmm. You can't you can't write out forty seven things that you can control. Um, and, and have those contingency plans and skills and, and you'll be good. And, and like I said, Will, you want to maybe just wrap this up again, reminding us why student learning is, is the priority. Cause I think that's a spot where, I mean, we can all agree as educators that that's where we should start and end. I would say as we're going into it, if we're all focused on what do my students need to learn? to be successful, not only this school year, but for their entire school career, then I believe we would be okay. 
that does not change. Every kid needs to know they're loved. Every kid needs to know they're trusted. Every kid needs to know that they can. Every kid needs to know that somebody believes in them. And on top of that, every kid needs to know the content that, they're te that you're teaching. So whether you're a new teacher, a novice teacher, a veteran teacher, a teacher who are on your, who's on your way out the door, just remember that you hold the key to controlling what is produced for the rest of the world. And we say this all the time, we are the 1% that controls how the 99 responds. So we wanna make changes. We wanna see a different world. We wanna see a different environment. We wanna see a different community. It starts by educating our children properly, appropriately, and consistently. I hope mm. you have a great year and mm. peace, love, and respect. Be sure to follow us on social, at Value Adds Value, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, you can find our personal Instagrams out there as well, but we hope you have a great week as we lead back in to the start of the school year. So this is episode 331, and we are out.